Hi, and welcome to A Sober Girls Podcast. My name is Sherry, and I am your host. Every Wednesday, we get together and we talk about our journey in sobriety, what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. I've been sober for over 10 years now, and I realized that one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was just putting the plug in the jug and not drinking. I never took care of my emotional sobriety, did my step work, or was fully involved in the program until it was almost too late. This is my story, my experience, strength, and hope and what life is like for me on a daily basis as a recovering alcoholic and addict. I am so glad that you are with me and now let's get into it. What is up fam? Happy Wednesday. I hope that you're doing awesome this week. Um, I'm coming to you from a very good place right now. I have had so much going on. Just got back from a conference, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I was gifted the opportunity to do this um, conference called the Virginia Baseball Coaches Association to help out my nonprofit, and it was phenomenal. The people that I met, the time that I had there was absolutely fantastic. But I'm not going to lie to you, I was a little bit nervous going into it because I have not been to a conference in 12 years, since I've sobered up, actually. And I don't know why, but probably two or three days before this conference hit me, I was like, oh my God, what if I um, relapse? Or what if I can't handle the peer pressure? Like, for the first time in a long time, it was a situation that I hadn't seen myself being in. Because all these other places that I go to are comfortable for me. So I was worried about, am I going to drink? My professionalism, peer pressure. Um, What if I meet somebody there? Like, there's so many different things going through my mind that I legitimately reached out to my sober community. And I was like, so this is what's going on. I need some help. What things do you guys have in your arsenal for going to huge events. It's obviously not like going to a family Christmas or hanging out with friends. You know, those are places where you can be comfortable because people respect you, I mean, for the most part. I would hope that your family respects you and doesn't make a huge deal of it. And so I reached out to my sober community and this is what they had to say. Okay, here's the first one. And I never thought of this before, so it was actually really, really good. Um, set a curfew, set a time for yourself to be done because obviously at a hotel, everybody's going to move from the conference center over to the restaurant bar area, right? And that's where everybody's going to stand and mingle and drink and talk. And so set a time for yourself to be done in that area. And when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And it was really interesting because I think I set a time for like 11 p.m. Um, Just because the conference ran late on both nights, it went um, until 8 p.m. on both nights. And so I wanted an opportunity to mingle, to put my name out there, to have the option for, um, you know, putting myself out there in the making some business contacts. And as these things do, people tend to um, grab a drink um, and kind of stand around and drink and talk and it wasn't bad it wasn't sloppy wasn't sloshy wasn't anything like that but you could definitely tell on the first night it was more of a 
hey, get to know you. We're going to stand around and drink and laugh and have a good time. And then the second night, we had already started the evening at 5 p.m. And there was a cash bar um, that was for the Hall of Fame dinner. So people had been drinking possibly sooner. I don't know. So they had been drinking sooner. So by 8 o'clock, when we all moseyed on over to the bar or the common area, some people had already been drinking. So I did notice that the first night I looked at my watch and it said 11 p.m. And I was like, ah, okay, I should probably start heading up. And I actually stuck to my grounds and I was like, okay, I'm going to head on up there. I'm not going to worry about I had driven two hours that day anyway and then sat in meetings. And so it was probably beneficial that I actually went to bed at 11. The next night actually went really well. Um, but like I said, people had started drinking a little sooner, and so people were a little bit squirrely a little bit sooner, and it wasn't bad. Like I said, it wasn't sloppy. Um, I just knew that once we moved from the conference center to the common area, um, that there was going to be a lot more drinking probably, or more drinking, even if it's not a lot. And so I definitely, um was fully aware of the people that were there and who was drinking. And I was, it was important to me that I found myself with comfortable people, which is really hard to do in a setting where you don't know anybody um, and where you don't know anyone. And I ended up making a friend there who actually talked more than he drank. He is absolutely hilarious. His name is Tim, really great guy, works for the Orioles, absolutely love him. Um... And he wasn't really drinking throughout the night. And he was someone that I could sit and talk to. And people were around him. But it was more like the people who were around him kind of just gravitated to him. The ones that weren't really drinking. And we weren't necessarily talking about baseball as much as we were life on the second night. And so that's kind of where my safe spot was, actually. And where I stayed for the majority of both nights was him and Tracy and then kind of the other minglers that would come in and come out. The other people who sat in chairs and actually sat around something as they drank more, they didn't get loud or anything like that, but it was not someplace I was comfortable being. Number one, because I didn't know them. Number two, because I don't know... Sometimes if people are joking or not, and so I was not in a situation where I wanted to have to guess if people were joking um, or what people are like when they drink. Are they mean? Are they funny? Are they handsy? And, you know, a couple of those I, I'm not really a fan of, mainly the mean and the handsy. So, you know, I definitely put myself in a position where I was very self-aware, and when we were... Um, in the common areas, I would gravitate to the people who um, hadn't been drinking very much or um, at least were a little more on the calm end <laughs> of the spectrum, I guess. And it's really funny because the director's wife, who is amazing, she is phenomenal. She actually asked me what I was drinking because she was going to buy my drinks. And I was like, actually, I don't drink. And she's like, oh, that's awesome. I said, yeah, I said, I've been sober for 12 years. And she's like, oh, my God. And then she ran and grabbed her husband and told her husband. It was really kind of cute, actually. Um, she was so excited for me. And so she bought me mocktails all night. And let me tell you what, a bunch of mocktails can fuck your stomach up, okay? Like, that much fruit and, like, <laughs> soda water, whoo, 
that'll get to you. Um, so we definitely um, need to set a time where even if we're not uncomfortable, we know that we're taking ourselves out of a potential situation that could get worse. And I'm glad that I did because the next morning I was um, getting ready to leave and I saw Tim downstairs and he said, hey, leave. And I said, yep, and gave him a hug, whatever. And then later that day, um, I sent him a text message and I said, hey, you handled that awkward conversation in the bar with Grace. There was a woman in the bar and it was really interesting, really funny. And I was just like, this is really awkward, but he handled it really well. And he said, which one? And it was interesting because that was the only one that I was privy to, right, before I went up to my my room. And he told me about another incident that happened that night. And it wasn't even really an incident, just, you know, coaches doing their thing. And they got into a little bit of an argument or a tiff that escalated, and Tim kind of calmed him down. And so I think it's interesting that not only did I have the wherewithal to go, okay, this is probably the time to go upstairs. It's late. I need to get up and drive in the morning. I'm already exhausted because of how I feel. Um, it's been a really long, great day. And it's just at the time where people probably start transferring over or coming back from other places where they've been drinking. And so I just went upstairs. And I was really proud of the fact that I had listened to that first piece of advice to set a time to be done because anything that happens on the other side of midnight can't be good, right? Even if it's something small and stupid, um, that's just something that I don't want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of the drama. I don't want to be a part of something small and stupid. I want to make sure that when I am the face of not only my company, but myself and my sobriety, that I'm making the right choices because I want to be the person that someone can go look at how well she handled that. I can do that too. It's not about how well I handled it. It's about how well I handled it so that other people know that they can as well. Next one is something that I never actually thought of. And it was really interesting to be completely honest um, how well it worked. It was something that I wish I think I would have known a long time ago, and I think it might have saved some more awkward conversations or issues, or not even issues, just like people feeling less guilty or awkward. But um, a friend of mine said, always have something in your hand. Um, and what that means is always have a drink in your hand, a water, a soda, a coffee, something in your hand so that when people look at you and want to offer you a drink, you can they obviously see that, nope, you're good. You already have a drink. Um, and that was actually, I, I paid attention to it because the times that I didn't have a drink in my hand, someone did offer to buy me a drink. Oh, you don't, do you need a drink? No, nope, I'm good. Or... Do you need me to buy you a drink? Oh, no, I just forgot mine over there. Um, and then just going and getting another drink or a water or a soda or something like that. But it really was amazing. The times that I did have the water in my hand or a drink in my hand, no one asked me what I wanted. And that was actually really, really nice. Um, another thing I will tell you that did scare me a lot, and there's something that I was looking at and I got to go online and find it again and maybe I'll do that here in a second post it on my podcast page but having your drink um, spiked or roofied or drugged however you choose to say it that was also a really really big fear of mine so that was another reason why I didn't want anyone else getting me a drink or I watched the drink being made um, and stood right there so that is one thing that 
absolutely terrifies me because I don't ever, ever, ever want to experience that. And I feel just so horrible for the ones that have. Um, but I, that was one thing that really scared me. So having that drink in my hand instead of a drink brought to me also brought me a lot of comfort just for that aspect. That's something that A, I never thought of. B, I didn't even think about being a big issue until I got there and had a drink in my hand. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't let this go. So those things actually made me feel a lot more comfortable because it made me feel like I was in control of what I was doing with my drink. So have a drink in your hand. Um, make sure you watch your drink being made. Don't accept a drink from someone else. These are really big also party habits for people who don't subscribe to being an alcoholic, I guess. Um, these are just ways to stay safe. All right, the next part, have that friend that checks in on you. You all know that we don't go anywhere without a cell phone, right? You know that. I know that. I specifically buy my purses so that I can have my cell phone with me. Um, and that's just so my husband can get a hold of me, my son can get a hold of me, obviously my parents, my best friend, but have that person that checks in on you. Make sure that you're okay. It can be your sponsor. It can be someone in the community. It can be your best friend, your mom, your husband. Having someone check in on you holds you accountable. Make sure that you're okay. Have that person set aside a few times every, I don't know, hour or so, um, a few minutes, not a few times, a few minutes every hour or so to just check in on you and make sure that you're doing okay. It's nice to know that someone cares, that someone looks out for you, and it's not necessarily even a controlling thing, like, what are you doing? It's more of along the lines of, hey, are you doing okay? Yep, I am actually. You you know, are you feeling safe? Are you feeling comfortable? I absolutely am. Having that person in your life that checks in on you is not only one of the most comforting feelings, but it also makes you feel less alone. It makes you feel like, if something does happen or you are feeling shady or shade around you, not shady yourself, I don't, I mean, maybe you do feel shady. I don't know. Um, that if there's something unnerving, you can be like, yeah, it's a little bit weird here right now. I think I'm going to step away and call you or something weird just happened. I'm not comfortable, you know, so you're able to verbalize those things because rarely would we say that we're un we're not uncomfortable if we were. Like, I think had I stayed down there a little bit longer in the common area and been a part of the um, coaching TIFF, um, it's possible that I would have needed someone to say, I think it's probably a good time for you to go upstairs. Or, yeah, that sounds kind of like a not-so-good situation. And that's okay. It's okay for someone to be like, oh, is that really a good idea? Because that's what real friends and family do. Real friends and family look out for us. They make sure that we are taken care of and okay and in a good, comfortable situation. I know for me, I text my husband throughout the night. He works nights anyway, so he was already awake. And um, I just let him know how things were going. I send him pictures. Um, I told him what kind of fun we were having, and it was just a nice to have that, you know, that dialogue throughout the evening. It was also familiarity. It made me feel good to know that, you know, I was having a normal conversation with someone that understands how I feel. So having that familiarity also helps take away that worry and anxiety of 
being in an awkward situation. The next thing that really helped me, um, and I don't know what encouraged me to do it, but I'm really, really glad that I did because I felt like I had a community of support behind me. The first part is being transparent. I was extremely transparent about my fears. Why? Number one, because I didn't want to drink. I wanted to put myself in a situation where I was going to have to be transparent about my fears and what I was concerned about happening at the time. And then on top of that transparency, which allowed me to not only be aware of my surroundings and that I had community support and there were going to be things that I knew I needed suggestions, tips to get me through the event. But on top of that, I also checked in. I posted on Instagram. I said, hey, this is where we're at. This is night number one. We are doing really well here. I am extremely proud of where I'm at. I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm in my hotel room. I'm safe. Things are going well. Just that transparency allows me to go, oh, I might have people that are worried about me. I should check in with them. It is a source of creating dialogue and allowing people to see your vulnerabilities, which is never easy, you know. And after 12 years of sobriety, you think that you got it. You think that there shouldn't be any issues, you know. Well, she's got 12 years of sobriety. But I do remember the story. Um, someone told me, not told me, told a group in a meeting, this guy went out in, um, he had 37 years of sobriety, I believe. He went out and, um, outside the rooms and he drank. I could not imagine something like that happening. Not only because I'm stubborn and I want to, at this point, now die sober, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, but in all honesty, I mean, like, at this point, I've gotten this far. Like, why would I want to take the risk and drink? But at the same time, it helps me see that no matter where we are in our disease, that we are all vulnerable. We are all privy to being a part of that situation that can take us out of the rooms. And the best part is, is that you can come back and you can get a white chip. That really, really is the best part. And I know that for some people... Um, that white chip that keep coming back, they had to keep coming back a couple of times until they got it. And knowing that you can't be rejected, knowing that you can't be left out in the cold is a very good feeling. But also knowing that I'm transparent, I'm vulnerable, I'm checking in, I'm making sure people understand how I feel, how people can see that I'm scared you know, it it also allows people to contact me and say, hey, I'm just checking in on you. You know, it's not your spouse, your best friend, your friends from your groups. If you're transparent with certain people, if you're transparent with a community, people actually will reach out to you and be like, hey, I was just making sure you're good. You know, you said you were a little bit nervous about this weekend. And that's that's a really awesome feeling as well. It really is amazing how the sober community comes together. Um, and the last one, to be completely honest, is tell your sponsor. Tell your sponsor where you're going. Tell your sponsor what you're doing. Your sponsor is your second brain, okay? Your second brain, your second heart, your second everything. There are times I don't make a decision without my sponsor. When I got in trouble last uh, four, three or four months ago at this point, 
that was one thing that I did was I called my sponsor immediately. This is what's going on. This is what I have happening at this point in time, and I need instruction on what to do next. It doesn't matter how big or small the circumstances, I will tell my sponsor everything. I tell my sponsor when I'm annoyed with my job, with my husband, with my kid, like it doesn't matter. My sponsor knows everything that I'm going through. And that is one part of accountability that I promise you, you will want to have. Because when all else fails, you know that your sponsor has got your back. And by putting that seed into the sponsor's thought, you know what she did? She checked on me twice that weekend. Twice. She just sent me a text to make sure that I was doing okay. And I said, yep, I'm doing great. I'm exhausted. I came home and I slept. Oh my God, did I sleep. But, you know, I absolutely um, was not afraid to hear from her. I didn't have anything to cover up from her. I didn't have anything to not tell her. I just was able to say, yep, I am doing great. And it felt so good to be able to tell her how I was doing. And once I got to the conference and I knew a few people and I warmed up to a few people, um, it definitely got a lot easier. That was my first solo anything. Um, like not meeting someone somewhere, not going somewhere with someone. Like that was my first solo anything. And it lasted 48 hours. And that was enough for me. That was enough. That was enough for me to get my toe in the water and kind of see how I was um, by myself sober. And it was a really good feeling to know that I went home at the end of it and I didn't have any issues. I didn't take anyone else up to my room. I didn't drink. I didn't, you know, fall flat on my face. And I know those might seem extreme to you, but as someone who really truly had a just horrendous time with alcohol, saying no, um, wanting to fit in, it felt really, really good to be myself. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from all of this. Yes, we have, you know, set up a time to be done, always have something in your hand, tell your sponsor, be transparent, have people check in on you. But then the biggest one of all of those is definitely you get an opportunity to be yourself. And I feel like this was one of the coolest opportunities I've ever had in my life. I know they're only going to get better. And I had the opportunity to be myself, and it was phenomenal. People liked me. People laughed with me. I wasn't the center of attention. I didn't make, like, a huge stink about anything. It was just an awesome, calm weekend. I That is one weekend where I left having absolutely zero regrets. Zero. Zero regrets. And it was absolutely a phenomenal time. And I can't wait to go do more things like that because I know that I have the power to stay sober. I know that I have the community that will back me and help me. And I know that I have the tools in my bag to help me really accomplish what I need to on a daily basis. And really, truly taking it one day at a time while I was there was also really important. Not putting it ahead of myself, not getting ahead of myself, taking a nap when I needed to, eating when I needed to, you know, just all the self-care things that we should be doing anyway, I did. 
And it was phenomenal. And I really enjoyed the entire conference. So the best part about all of this is that I got to experience something in my sobriety for the first time. And I feel like I did it right. So let's go over one last time in a format that you guys can write down or remember um, for how to make your solo trips or business adventures um, successful. Number one was set up a time to be done or set up a curfew for yourself to go up to your hotel room. I think that's really important. Um, I also would not go to a bar with other people unless I was extremely comfortable. A couple of people did go to the bar and I was like, mm, no, I'll just hang out in the hotel room or in the hotel common areas. Number two, always have something in your hand. This is a way for people to not offer you a drink. Um, you can monitor what you already have. And if you get another drink from the bar, make sure that you watch it be made. Don't ever let it leave your hand. Don't set it down. These are just safety tips in general for men and women both to take care of themselves. Um, number three was be transparent. Make sure that you tell people what's going on because the more transparent you are, the more opportunity you have for people to check in on you. Having someone to check in on you is really, really important. So tell your friends, tell your fran family, tell someone specific, hey, can you just check in on me every now and then just to make sure I'm doing okay. You know, we, you know, we all have our phones in our hand and it's something that's easy to do. Um, and obviously tell your sponsor. Telling your sponsor is something that is so insanely important. And if you have a good sponsor, that sponsor will check in on you. Um, I'm not saying that if your sponsor doesn't check, on on you, check in on you that you don't have a good sponsor. I'm just letting you know that as someone who would sponsor someone, that is something that I would do. You want to make sure that people feel safe, that people feel comfortable, and that there is something that they have that they know they can reach out to if they need to. So these are just a couple of things that I did to help myself feel comfortable um, and safe and in a good setting for my first solo trip, my first solo business trip. And I think it's something that you can apply to. Um, next week is obviously Christmas, but I'm going to have another episode up for us for Christmas. And I hope that you are doing really, really well and I cannot wait to come back next week because next week we're going to talk about following instructions. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of a Sober Girls podcast. I hope that you heard something that resonated with you and that you can take with you for the next week until we meet again. You can find me on Instagram at a Sober Girls pod. You can also follow me and friends at Sober City Movement on Instagram as well. If you live in the Richmond area, Follow me at Sober Enrichment, where we, we plan local sober meetups. Or if you're just traveling and looking for a friend in the area, there's one of us in almost every city across the continent. Struggling and need help? Just remember that you are not alone. You can reach out to me and any of my friends on Instagram. Send us a message. Or if you are in immediate need of help, Please search out your sponsor, the closest sober friend, or go online to aa.org to find a meeting that you can attend. There are also Zoom meetings, which you can find on aa.org as well. Have a safe week, and until next time, fam, be well.